So 1 Corinthians 15, we are finishing this. He is risen. See, I hate that you guys all know that because I didn't know that. And someone did that to me in church one day and I just just stared at him for a second. (laughs) And I'm never going to forget that for as long as I live. See, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't grow up with all the formal stuff. So it just bugs me to no end. But anyway, we are finishing 1 Corinthians 15 because I am not clever I started 1 Corinthians 15, which is Paul's great exposition on the resurrection in 2019, and I don't know what I'm doing next year, so I've got, a, I've got a year to think about it and figure it out, so hopefully I'll have something by then. But it's actually been fun to me. If you have no idea what's going on before this, we'll give you a bit of a recap in a minute, but I think all but the first one at this point are on YouTube, so you can catch back up and enjoy yourselves and you know laugh at you know how my, my presentation is the same now as it was then probably, so anyway. You know the rules, no airdropping into a passage. Just because we did this last year doesn't mean we are not airdropping in. That is an immutable law. We will never change it. So in 2019, we covered verses 1 through 11, that there is the reality of the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection. That's in that little first section. In 2020, we did verses 12 through 19. There were 12 people in the sanctuary. (laughs) That was the great COVID year, and we had like 18 chairs, and half of them were full, and it was a weird year. So, and more people were listening online than there were in here. But that was that our hope for this world and for our lives is grounded in the resurrection. Uh, 2021, we did verses 20 through 28, the reminder that God will rule and will defeat not some, but all of his enemies. And last year, we did verses 29 through 49, we were feeling ambitious, where we go into the resurrection in detail. And I'm not going to go much more into detail now because we're going to get back to that little section in just a minute. So you have been warned. Shall we dive in? All right, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, so in light of everything else that he said, now I say this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That actually makes a whole lot of sense. Romans 8 gives you uh, another picture of this. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, why would Paul write such a thing? We'll go way, 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 way back towards the beginning to Genesis 6. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Now, always remember, Genesis 6 is before the flood. The flood doesn't fix that, because if you wanted to wipe out all of the sin, how many of the people did you need to wipe out? All the people. We left some of them alive in the boat, hence sin didn't go away. Now, let's take a minute, because this is so, so very important for understanding pretty much all of Christian history and the world even today. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because all flesh is corrupted and we have to do something about this. What incarnation does that mean? Because this is one of the ditches. Remember the rules of life. You want to ride where in the highway? In the middle of the lane. There's a ditch on that side. We don't want to go in that one. But if you're heading towards the ditch on this side, you don't want to fix that problem by going into the ditch on that side. So one of the problems with this idea throughout history is we have tried to super-duper spiritualize. You know, we put on our theology capes, and I will give you the super-spiritual interpretation, and then everyone shall be wise because you have now heard my wisdom. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So this is not a Gnostic ideal, which goes all the way back to the first century, which would be the the flesh is the evil part and the spirit is the good part. So you've got to be less fleshly and more spiritual. Now, if you can figure out what exactly that actually means in your life on a day-to-day basis, get back to me because I haven't the first clue. Yes, we use a lot of the language for the lusts of the flesh, but don't forget that sin doesn't start in the members. It starts in you. Go back to Sermon on the Mount that we mentioned earlier today. You've heard that it was said that, you know, do not, do not commit adultery, right? But if you've looked with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That doesn't mean you have carte blanche to go do it anyway. Just, well, I thought it. I might as well do it. That, that's not where that works either. But sin isn't just something that manifests in the flesh. It is something that begins internal to you. It is who you are, this side of Eden and this side of the veil. Remember, you're in the middle of those two things. This is not some super spiritual idea that if you just deny yourself enough, you will enter into some enlightened plane. You know, you you can sit and put your feet behind your ears or something, go home, I am the holy man. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works either. And then lastly, 
this is, this is the best one. This is not Looney Tunes theology, okay? You know, when we blow up the, 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 the duck and then he floats up to heaven with his harp and that's what, that's what forever looks like. No, 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 no. Always remember that we are longing for a redeemed creation. That's what Romans 8 is getting on. That's what Revelation is explaining to you. We're actually looking for a resurrection of the body. Yes, there is an intermediate state, absent from the body, present with the Lord, but you're still longing for the reunification of soul and physical. Physical in and of itself is not evil. Evil is evil, and you have to figure out how that works. So what does this look like? Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Notice where Paul's not laying the blame. He's not laying the blame on your body versus your spirit. He's laying the blame on sin, which corrupts how much of the things? All of them. Make sure we cover that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am, the, if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, you want your body to do better. Where does that start, Christian? Come. How many times have we done this math problem? I can't just change the way that I live. I have to change what? I have to change how I think about the world. Well, Noel, in order to change the way I think about the world, I have to change what? The things that I want from the world. I have to change the desires of the heart. Then and only then can the mind be renewed, and then and only then can I actually rightly evaluate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and actually have a fighting chance of doing something different. This is the same problem that has been from the beginning. It is the same problem that will exist until Jesus comes back. This is why you evaluate yourself not based upon the outward, but on the condition of the inward. You want to fix the problem of the outward? You fix the thing here. Why did I say that? Well, we both know why you said it. The bigger question is, why did you want to say it? The bigger question is, why did you think it? The bigger question is, why did you desire it? This is the problem. This is where the root is. Now, I remind you of that because that will help you make sense of what Paul is going to. Because that is why he says the rest of this. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You must be changed. And you must be changed from the inside out. Remember the example for the Pharisees? What are they? Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but full of what? Dead men's bones. You can dress it up real pretty. At the end of the day, what's in the tomb? It's like taking the dishes, and you've had the meal, and you bring the dishes to the sink. You know, you dump the, dump the leftovers or whatever wasn't eaten in the trash can, and you take the dish, you take your nice wash rag, and you will polish the outside, and you look at it, isn't that beautiful? Then you put it back in the cabinet. What's the problem? what's the dirty part? <laughs> or you take that and you let the dog lick it and then you just wipe the outside and put it in the cabinet. Would that work? No, because what's in it now? Not something you want to eat. See, I, I'm going to get you eventually. <laughs> you have to go, this is the, these are the examples for your world. You don't clean the outside. See if there is any way offensive in me and lead me in the path that's everlasting. You must be changed. Go back to Genesis 3. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because you were taken from it. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is where we pick up from the section we did last year. This is the part that has to be adjusted from the inside out. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 43. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. See, you are in a now, not yet. You are looking at the temptations of your world and going, I don't want this. I don't like this. I want something else. And yet, what do I keep desiring? Now, again, the problem isn't necessarily the thing you desire. The problem is your demand, your desire, and your misuse of it. You're working on that day by day. This is the inward work of the Holy Spirit. But here's, let's, let's be honest. We get that mind perfectly scrubbed up. You know, we get the scrub brush. Now we're all good and clean in there, right? This is why we call them lust of the flesh, right? 
What's the motto of the day? If it feels good, why does all the stuff you're not supposed to do sometimes feel the best? <laughs> you ever wonder why that is? Because it corrupts everything. And it corrupts how you desire it, it corrupts how you feel about it, it corrupts what you want. So you are continually fighting a war. You know what you're supposed to do, and yet, you know what you're supposed to want, and yet, there's coming a day when the spirit that is being worked on day by day will be aligned with the body. But that day is not now. That's the sowing and what will be reaped. Your body is still corrupted. It is still fallen in sin. It is still broken and breaking, day, breaking down. Would you like some great proof of that? Hey, look at look. Breaking down. Oh, you guys got blurry. <laughs> Didn't used to be like that. Breaking down. Yeah, you woke up one day and you're like, why does my back hurt? <laughs> like, when did that happen? Or you used to be able to go out and, you know, jog around and run around the neighborhood and then you'd go to bed and wake up the next morning and you could do it again and then you did it one day and you were like, oh, okay, hang on. Now I have to do this stretching thing and we have to warm up and protect my knees and take care of it. Or, you know, you get those, uh, see if the microphone picks that up for you. <laughs> Oh, breaking down. Now some of you are like, don't do that. It's contagious. <laughs> breaking down. But there is coming a day when the work of God doesn't just fix some of the things that have been corrupted. It fixes all of the things that have been corrupted. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is what you are being taught day by day in your sufferings to hope for something beyond this brokenness. This is what Christ proves, that there is something beyond just this stuff. But there is a hope of a good world with a resurrected body that is not breaking down, that is not suffering decay, that is not withering under the effects of sin, but it is itself redeemed. The things that I cannot accomplish, I am trusting that God will bring to pass. Now, we'll come back to that idea. Don't do that. But if you were a faithful Corinthian, of which there were probably few, if you ever want fun history lesson, Go do some digging into the history of Corinth. Those people, they're one of those groups you want to reach in your Bible and just strangle somebody. Be like, what is wrong with you? And the answer is yes, humanity. Because always remember, we have a first and a second Corinthians in our Bible. Um, recognize that there were at least four letters from Paul to the Corinthian church. We don't get two of them in our Bible. And I, and I never remember this. We either have letters one and four or letters two and four. I think if I remember correctly, we have letters two and four. There, there are, there's so, and, and keep in mind that Paul was also there for a year and a half. And people were visiting. I mean, they were constantly getting the updates and constantly getting communication back, and they were still an utter train wreck. So there's hope for you yet, and there's hope for that family member yet. <laughs> so rest in there. So if you were a faithful Corinthian, you would basically have one question at this point of this chapter. So we know what happened. We know what that's supposed to mean for us. We know how we're supposed to live in light of this. We know what's going to happen. What don't we know yet? What would you like to know next? When? I want to know when. When? Come on, man. Give me the good details. I want to mark this on my calendar. Because let's be honest, if it's not on the calendar, I forget about it and it's not happening. So tell me when so I can mark and we'll be good to go. Now, Paul's going to get there in just a second. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. As always, this is the need. And by the way, that's not a new need that Paul just came up with out of thin air. This is something that goes all the way back into your Old Testament. Go back to Moses' speech in Deuteronomy 10. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Easy, right? Keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. And yet your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So you're getting a pretty good beating right here. Do better, do better. Here's the list of things. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. It's a reminder. You want to keep all those regulations that Moses is, Moses is encouraging you in Deuteronomy? What's got to be changed? The heart. The heart will steer the neck, which will guide the life, not the other way around. Paul's not coming up with a new idea. He is building on what God has been teaching the people from the very beginning. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. See, there you go. Now you can mark that on your calendar. Here's the when, when God comes back. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're good, right? Now you got this. Not a new idea. Once again, go back to verse 19 in chapter 15. If we have hoped, for, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. This is the hope that all should have. This is, we read this last week. This is that Philippians 3 hope, that you would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That all the things that you have gained in life, that you would hold as lesser, longing for the work that God has accomplished. And by the way, real quick, this is not just the, another idea that Paul has concocted and pulled out of thin air. First Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Always remember, your hope is not here. Your hope is in a good kingdom that is to come. Your hope is in a completed work of Christ. You are again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think I said it already this morning. You are in a now, not yet. Remember our little equation? You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. So you have been saved. Christ stands before the Father and says, that one's mine. He's not guilty. You are righteous in the throne of, before the throne of God in his courts. Awesome, right? Um, are you there? <laughs> You're working on it, but you are not there right now. You will be there. When you get there, you will be declared righteous and you will be good, but you're not there right now. That's your being saved. This is that Romans 7 thing, the part we're talking about. You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are evaluating your life. You are trusting in God. Heart has been changed. Mind is being renewed on a daily basis so that the walk of your life matches the declaration of heaven about who you are. And you are engaging in that work because you have been saved and you are engaging in that work with the thought that one day you will be completely accomplished. That is the hope that God will complete this work. And I always remind you, for those of you that are still, you know, like me, and you're only, you know, a couple of decades into this, go, don't do it right now because it's not polite, but go grab somebody who's been a Christian 50, 60 years. Ask them, perfect yet? Because <laughs> you know what the answer is? No. <laughs> still fighting against your sin? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling like you're doing a better job than you were 20 years ago? it's a war. It's a battle. This is the thing I've told you to enjoy. Enjoy the battle because this is the good news. The pagan without Christ doesn't care. He's not worried about his sin. Part of the good news for you is you looked at your sin and went, I hate that. That's good. That's progress. That's acknowledgement that God is at work, that you are in the being saved and that you are still on the track that he has not forgotten, has not forsaken you. This is why I've used this example before. I've even got my kids reading this book now, but go find a good version of Pilgrim's Progress because it gives you a great example of this, that Christian enters onto the celestial highway, heading to the king city. It's an allegory. Everything means exactly what it says it is. So you've got a Christian living in the world, dealing with the trials and tribulations of a Christian walk, and everything under the sun accosts him and assaults him. He finds himself lost in his sin. He finds himself doubting. He finds himself in depression. He finds himself questioning the law. He finds himself questioning. And at the end result, where does he just keep doing? He just keeps progressing. As he trusts in Christ to carry him forward, he just keeps progressing. We've talked about this before. Sometimes progress is measured in... <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is progress. If you just keep doing this for the next hundred years, what will you do? You'll get there. May not like how you got there, but you will get there. This is what we long for. Just keep moving. And by the way, not a Paul idea only, not a Peter idea only. This is that totality, this longing for a completed work of God. Things like Isaiah 27. In that day, always remember, reading your prophets, whenever you hear about the day of the Lord, what are we talking about? Reading an Old Testament prophet, you read day of the Lord, your brain should immediately say what? Book of Revelation stuff. You should immediately say last days and end of days. So in that day, the Lord will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown, and those who are perishing in the land of Assyria and who are scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. 
Joel 2, contemporary of Isaiah. This is, we, we, we covered this when we went through Joel. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. And this is building on that imagery. There's a reason why they're using the trumpet imagery and the holy mountain imagery throughout the prophets. Well, again, you want to understand. Ooh, I just realized. This is pop quiz time. You guys ready? See, if you remember this one, because I went over this so many times, you want to understand the pictures and the language of your prophets. What book do you need to understand first? Exodus. They're using the imagery of Exodus, because what is Exodus? It is God redeeming his people from their bondage. Uh, What's the story of God in Scripture? redeeming people from their bondage. The, the, picture of, the picture of Egypt is one thing, but Christian, are you in Egypt? No, you're trying to be delivered from sin. It's a reminder. When you see the prophets, they are calling Israel back. Hey, hey, look at our history. Look at who, why are we this people? Because God has said, mine, and has pulled you away from that enemy who you could not conquer. Christian, why are you this people? Because God has said, mine. And pulled you away from your sin, the enemy that you could not conquer on your own. You want to understand your prophets, understand Exodus. Exodus 19. It came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And we're going to joke about this until Jesus calls me home. But what's the response? What's the response of the people at the foot of the mountain? The mountain shaking, God speaks, it's thunder, and their answer is, oh, no one come up the mountain. Duh. <laughs> because we looked at God come down and went, yeah, we're good down here. God says, send me Moses, and they went, great plan. Moses, you're good. You got this. Go team. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the difference, though, between a people wrestling with their sin and a people resting upon Christ. Just think about this. Go read your Bible. God shows up. What does humanity say? Uh Uh-oh. Angels show up. What do people say? Every angel has to say what in your Bible? Do not be afraid. You you always remember, since Bible people have to speak in British accents according to the movies, be not afraid. I come from the Lord and I come bearing good news. You know, you got to have that lovely accent for it. Oh, come on. That was good. You liked it. Why do they have to say that? Because angels showed up and all of a sudden everybody realizes, oh, I mean, realize the power. I'm just going to go wipe out 185,000 Assyrians in a night. Give me a minute. I'll be right back. I mean, <laughs> how many two angels rained down, you know, hellfire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, with, we, uh, this is a power we don't want to mess with. Every time these beings show up, people are freaking out. John, on the island of Patmos, of all people, John, who walked with Jesus, saw him transfigured up on the mountain knew the power, saw the resurrection, sees the glorified Christ on the island of Patmos and falls down like a dead man. (laughs) I am not functioning. I am not okay. Christian, what are you longing for? You're longing for that appearance. Why? Why would you long for something that's terrified humanity from day one? Because you recognize that this is what we are called for. You recognize that this is the hope, that this is the fulfillment of everything. And you recognize that in that day, sin will be undone. And I will not stand with fear because I will not stand in sin because I will be saved. That work will be accomplished and I will stand before him justified and righteous. And I will no longer fear because of the work that he has done. That's why we can long for it. That's what Paul is trying to encourage these broken Corinthians with. Yeah, we wouldn't know anything about being a broken people, would we? We wouldn't need this kind of encouragement. So, Verse 53, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. You feel like there's like a dead horse in the corner, and Paul is just beating it senseless at this point. Why? This is the stubbornness of humanity on full display. And I don't mean Paul's stubbornness, because remember, I think Paul is stubborn, and I appreciate that about Paul, because if, you, if you're going to have an apostle to the Gentiles, and if you're going to have an apostle, like, like, I'm not sending four letters to the Corinthian church. I'm just not. I'm sending one letter, maybe a second one, and the second one's going to be like, look, you guys know what you're supposed to be doing. I, I can't do this anymore. Have a good day. <laughs> Paul's like, I've got to send them another letter. Let's go visit them after this letter. Oh my goodness, there's still a train wreck. Let's go back. Like, he's wired differently in the kingdom 
needed that work and that section of the world needed that work. Why is he still beating this though? Because he needs to get it into the Corinthian heads of what you're living for. Christian, you still need this reminder. You still need this constant beating because let's be honest, you're not busy. You don't have 4,000 things coming into your brain day in and day out. You've never had a morning like that. You've never had that day like before nine o'clock, like my phone has gone off eight times. I have 17 meetings and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing today. Ah! Like you've never had that. What happens when you live in that place? You forget. Your eyes come down. Your focus changes. Realize Paul's writing to a much, much slower world. Like if you were going to send, part of the reason you, wouldn't, you and I wouldn't send four letters to the Corinthians is because, let's be honest, we wouldn't send any letters to the Corinthians. It'd be a text message. And like by the third one, you'd give them the, per my last email, and everybody knows in office speak that that means what? Look! It's <laughs> the equivalent of, you know, parents staying, per my last email is office speak for parents at the bottom of the stairs going, don't make me come up there. Same concept. We wouldn't have the time. Realize Paul's sending these letters and they have to travel. He's got to send them with a person who's got to walk to the pier. Got to get passage on a boat. He's got to sail, you know, across an inlet. He's got to land and go find the church again and drop it off and argue with them and read it. I mean, and then he's got to come back and deliver the response. I mean, life was much slower then. And yet they are so busy and so lost with the cares of this world that they are forgetting. What do you think happens to us? This is why you get the constant reminder, which is again why I'm going to exposit this and give you a constant reminder. This is the reminder and the promise that the resurrection points you to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, the reason why I always go out of my way to make sure you understand that this work is accomplished at the end is because I never want you to forget that there are two sides to this coin. Always remember that. Romans 2. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? By the way, just because I saw this like a week ago, let me take a quick second. When we say the kindness of God leads you to repentance, that's for you. That's not necessarily how you have to interact with the world. Always remember that. The kindness of God leads you to repentance because you understand that you are under wrath and that judgment awaits all sin. Not some of it, but all of it. And then you see that it is God who is doing the judging work and it is God who is doing the redeeming work and you recognize that God has provided the escape of judgment. You go, how amazingly kind and gracious of him. And you see the kindness of God and you Repent of your sins, put your trust in him, and you are redeemed. That doesn't mean you have to go out into the world and go, Please, sinners, the wrath of God is coming upon thee. If thou wilt but accept the Savior's love, thou might be saved. By the way, it helps if you practice that British accent. <laughs> that doesn't require that you have to be nicer than Jesus. Sometimes you need the snow shovel. And look, I am snow shovel guy. Sometimes you need what? You need a reminder. You don't need a little pat on the head and a pat on the back and everything's going to be okay. You need somebody to do what? Stop it. Yeah, when in doubt, when in doubt, get a bigger Bible. That's why your grandmother had that. You always remember that. You English, do you speak it? No. You had that, anybody have that grandmother in the house that like grew up in church from the day she was born and she had the family Bible sitting there and she wrote down everybody's birthday and everybody's dad, death day and everybody got married and then if something went wrong, they just mark you out and keep on moving. <laughs> you know why that puppy was hard-backed? Because your parents, when they were growing up, you'd be like, stop it. Don't make me mess this Bible up on you. <laughs> Sometimes you need blunt. Doesn't mean you have to be cruel, but sometimes the truth is just what it is. Always remember, this is one of the rules in my house. Truth is not kind and truth is not mean. Truth simply is. It just is. And sometimes speaking it is not fun and it is not pleasant, but it is always, always necessary. Always. Remember, I've told you before, don't ask me if that outfit makes you look fat. I will tell you. <laughs> don't ask me questions you don't want answers to. Because you have to train yourself. You have to be wary in this world. And this is one of the things that we do. There are places in this world where we are tempted to go along. Christian, anchor to the truth. 
always. So let's continue. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is Romans 2 again, by the way. Who will render to each person according to his deeds. Which, by the way, Christian, that's a good standard for you. You want things rendered according to deeds because your deeds are not rendered in your power. Your deeds are not what you are claiming access to the kingdom by. You are claiming access by Christ's deeds. Why should you get in? I shouldn't. Ask Jesus. <laughs> Remember, you go up there and go, uh, Jesus. Jesus, what's, what's my answer? Jesus is my answer. Because you are his. To those who, are pers- who, are, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and, immor- and, immor- and immortality, eternal life. If I could speak, we'd be all set. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Which again, notice the, notice the issue. The work flows from the motive. The motive flows from the condition of the heart. Why are you seeking good works and immortality, Christian? Because you are seeking to offer your life as a service unto Christ. What is the pagan seeking to do? What he feels like? <laughs> what does he want? That's the difference. Which is again, why I tell you, not just who you are, but why are you this way? This is the evaluation you have to be doing. Not just, okay, why did I do that thing? Well, what did you want? Or the question I always ask my kids, what did you think was going to happen? Like, we're going to jump off the balcony. What did you think was going to happen? You go running into the brick wall. What did you think was going to happen? And, you know, you just wallowed around in my sin for a little while. What did you think was going to happen? What were you seeking to serve? Who were you trying to please? What were you accomplishing? Were you offering that to unto Christ? Because how much of your life is supposed to be an offering of Christ again, Christian? Colossians 3? All of it. Verse 54. But when this perishable, that's us, will have put on the imperishable, that's then, and this mortal, that's us now, will have put on immortality, that's then, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Then and only then is victory complete. Remember that. You war now. Look, as long as there's still enemy on the other side of the battle lines, have you won? Not typically. Like, you don't, you don't go into battle. Like, there's a hundred of you and there's a hundred of them. Oh, look, we killed one of your guys. We win. Go team. I mean, even good Bible example. David and Goliath, right? Goliath comes down. Tell you what we'll do. I'll send, we'll send our best guy, and you send your best guy, and whoever wins, that'll be the battle. Well, how'd that work out? Goliath went down, argued with some people, took a while. David finally went down, kills Goliath, and then the Philistines surrendered, right? No, what'd they do? They ran. And the Israelites went, hey, that's not fair. You cheated. We won. No, they did what? They took up their weapons, and they went after them because the battle wasn't over. Just because you ran away doesn't mean the battle's over. The battle's over when we actually win, when we finish, when we kill you people. You know, David's standing there with the head. Ah! <laughs> Always remember that. That bugged my son for so long because we try to sanitize everything for kids. And by we, I mean all of us. So stop in your brain and ask yourself, when did Goliath die? And what's your first thought? What was your first thought? Be honest. When David threw the rock and it hit him in the forehead, right? What does David do next? He goes and gets Goliath's own sword to take his head off. The fight was actually over when David's going, um, I win. <laughs> I always remember that part. It's one of my, it used to bug Connor to no end because he'd be like six in a Sunday school class and be like, and David threw the rock and it hit Goliath in the head and he died. And he's like, no. Then he got his sword and cut his head off. <laughs> I have literal children. It's okay. <laughs> Your victory is complete when it's actually complete. Then and only then will it be written. Go back, Isaiah 25. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on his mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Oh, we get the wine twice. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all the peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Always, always, always remember that. 
we are so tempted each and every day because of how busy we are, because of how many things interact with us, that our hope would be somewhere else. Your hope is not in this world. It is not in your country. It is not in your family. It's not even in your church. Don't put your hopes in me, please. Lord, don't do that. My wife will vouch that you should not do that. <laughs> don't start nodding like that. I saw the smile. It was coming. <laughs> you could all feel it, couldn't you? <laughs> put your hopes in Christ and his completed work. Uh, haven't used this one in forever. Remember, your salvation is not a fire insurance. It's not, oh, look, I made a profession. They threw me in the water for a little while. I'm good. I got this. Let us eat, eat, eat drink, and be married for tomorrow we die. No, 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 no. You must be born again. And that born again is supposed to actually have bearing on who you are. Which is why I tell you, look at your world. Who are you? Why are you? What are you living for? What are you seeking to accomplish in this place? Those are the motives of the heart, and those are the evaluations that change you over time. Again, go back to 1 Peter, so we know this is not just Paul speaking. For he was foreknown, talking about Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So, Paul continues with his question, verse 55. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Ooh, pick me, pick me. I know, I know, I know. And by the way, they knew and you know. Hosea, chapter 13. You know it's a good day when we go get Hosea, right? Come on. Get Exodus, Hosea, it's a good week. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him. He is not a wise son, for it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? O oh, death, where are your thorns? O oh, grave, O oh, grave, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Death's victory is in judgment. Death's victory is in the fact that we all have to face it. This is the warning in the trouble that we have. This is the sting. But remember, Christian, why don't you fear this sting? Revelation chapter 2. I know your tribulation and your poverty and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. See, this is the lie we tell ourselves in the world. Wouldn't you expect, if you just listen to worldly theology or, you know, Jesus loves us and everything's going to be okay. Wouldn't the expectation is you will have tribulation and Satan will try to kill you, but I'm going to get you through it and I'm going to make sure you're all right. Is that, the, is that the message? No. The message is what? Be faithful until death. It'll be all right. You'll die, but it'll be fine. <laughs> I always remember one of my favorite parts of the, um, the passion narrative when you're, when you're dealing with Jesus' heading to the crucifixion is Peter's declaration, you know, I, I will not you know, desert you. I will be faithful unto death. And Jesus tells him, oh, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. That doesn't sound good. Like of all the things I could sign up for in life, being tested and sifted by Satan is probably not high on the list. And let's be honest, your first thought is now what? When Jesus tells you, Satan's asked permission to sift you. You said no, right? But I have prayed for you that you will return. Like, oh, that you said yes. No, you're not supposed to say yes. <sighs> Remember, Christian, the answer is yes a lot more than you'd like. And the answer is yes a lot more than you realize. The sting is judgment. The sting is not death. This is one of those hard lessons of the world. Oh, man, they died. They must have done something real bad. Oh, that, look how they died. Then who cares? Death is death. It is what it is. It's a reality of life. Remember that our hope is not that this world will be perfect and that we will be perfect in this world. Our hope is that there is coming a good kingdom that perfect that will dwell in perfection, and you will dwell within it, which means you too will be perfect because God has perfected you. And by the way, in case you think I'm making that up, you get the next verse. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. See, this is one of those hard lessons of life. Matthew 10. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell read this great book years ago. I didn't understand it. I had to read it again to make more sense of it a second time. Um, if you want to find it, Ed Welch is the guy who wrote it. 
When people are big and God is small, tracing all of our problems with the world, our anxiety, our, our failures, our, our fears, because we've forgotten what? We make the world out to be this big bad enemy and we think that God's just over in the corner and can't do anything and we don't know because we've forgotten our perspective. We've lost who we are in the world. The cure for that is remember, the world is what's passing away. It is God who is eternal. It is God's power that reigns. It is God who dwells in the hearts of his children. And as you live in this world, you should have a bigger picture of God than you do of the world. I get it. You're busy. The world is fast, and it keeps hammering you over and over and over again, which is why you have to do what? (sighs) What's the constant reminder of Scripture? Things like be still. Things like patience. Things like, don't just take testimony, but you want it from two or three people. To be slow to actually operate in opposition to what the world would demand of you. I mean, isn't this this every news show now? Here's the thing that happened today. Dave, what do you think? Okay, Dave, you're an idiot. Bob, what do you think? Okay, Bob, you're an idiot. Joe, set him straight. I mean, isn't this every show and you got eight people like arguing with each other in a circle on the screen? They're all in their little boxes. Why? Pay no attention to what this hand is doing while I pick your pocket with this. Scripture tells you to do what? No, something just happened. Stop. What's all the information? What are the facts? How do you feel? I don't know. Because I don't know anything about what's going on. Let me think. Let me hear. Let me learn. And the world looks at you and goes, well, you just don't care. No, I don't care about playing your game. I care about honoring Christ. I care about evaluating this place rightly, and I care about actually functioning in a way that is honoring to God because he has redeemed me and because he has promised a kingdom in which righteousness dwells. And I'm trying to live like that now because I know where I'm going and I know where I've been. And I'd much rather be going that way than that way. Therefore, I don't play your game and I don't cry out for the things that you cried for. Why not? Because I recognize the reality about life that they need to know as well. Hebrews chapter 10. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't remember if this last week or week before last, we used the, um, the example that horrified some of you. Got the lion in the cage, and the kids are poking the lion with the sticks. How do you defend the lion? Open the cage! <laughs> the lion will do what? Defend himself. Christian, you go out into the world and they mock Jesus and they mock God and they mock your Bible and they call you a nitwit because you don't know anything the way they think you should know things and you're in the corner going, oh, they're going to think I'm silly. (sighs) They already do. They should be small while God should be big. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim scripture. Live according to the principles that have redeemed you and proclaim that and stand proud. And who cares what they think? I am righteous in the sight of the king of creation. That's how you live in this world. Recognize who actually runs this place. Now, how do you know who runs this place? Gee, what are we celebrating again today? (laughs) What enemies have been defeated? What strongholds have been torn down other than all of them? Remember, sin corrupts everything. What is Christ redeeming? Everything. This is, again, why the resurrection is so important. You're not just hoping for a cartoon cloud where you can play your harp and the music will be pretty. You're hoping for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where you touch and feel and know and recognize that those sins and those lusts of the past are undone because the new spirit has come and you are in a righteous kingdom and those things have been undone. They have been cast aside and you stand righteous and everything that has been corrupted has been set good. And if those have not repented who have been your enemy this time, remember, sin is dealt with. Either Christ has dealt with it upon the cross or God's judgment will care for that in eternity. This is why you don't have to fear. You have a place and you have a standing and you can rejoice in that because you also have the weapons of your war and you have the protections of God Almighty. Always remember the end of the story. What happens? The enemies of the armies of the world assemble on one side and the, the, the sun assembles the sash and the sword and the flaming eyes and the whole nine yards, right? And we're getting ready to do battle, right? And how long does that battle last? A verse. A verse. 
And Christ speaks and they die in the back, and the battle's over and then we're chucking people into the lake and it's over. This is not a fight. This is an accomplishment. Verse 57. But thanks be to God. See, I'm not making this up. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have nothing else to say to that almost other than amen. And by the way, just because I want you to make sure this is not just Paul's idea, Hebrews 2. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. They're all done. All the enemies are defeated. Not some of them, all of them. John says the same thing, 1 John 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You trust that what he has promised, he will deliver. You trust that what he has proclaimed good is good and will come to pass. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. That the, that the declaration that Christ has made before the Father in, in heaven will be confirmed for you on that last day. That is what your rest is. Always remember, the world wants to, to misdefine faith. Oh, you, you have faith. You believe that there's a God. No, 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 no. I have faith and you know there is a God. My faith is not that God might be there, but in what he will do. We both know that he's actually there, Romans 1. You just wanted to lie about it. Always remember, don't let them play that game with you. Let's finish up. Verse 58. Therefore, in light of all of that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, all the things that we've been called to up until now, right? This is your Colossians 2. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. This is your Ephesians 4, having that anchor, not being blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine. This is Ephesians 5, as you have been redeemed in Christ, now so walk in him. And again, just so you make sure that you know, we're not forgetting, this is also what Peter says. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. By the way, Christian, I made a big deal out of it. What's the first word of this verse? Therefore. This is not so that. This is therefore. Because of who Christ is. Because of what he has done. Because of how that has changed you. You are different. Therefore, you will live differently. There is no other way to get there. You don't change the outside and hope it cleans up the inside. You can't take that dog slobber bowl from earlier and go, no, 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 no. No, we, we polished it up. Look, the inside's perfectly clean now. It'll be fine. Yeah. By the way, I don't do dishes like that in my house, if you were wondering. <laughs> Although, I mean, I do have a dog with a rather large tongue, so, you know, he could probably get dishes done pretty quickly. <laughs> if nothing else, if you're ever at my house now, you're going to be looking at those dishes and let me like, <laughs> You are cleaned from the inside out. This is the work that Christ has done, and this is where Paul is making sure that you rest. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because it can't be. Why can't it be? Because again, how many victories, how many of the enemies are defeated? All of them. Who has promised that victory? God, this is the message from Paul to the Philippians. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only, earth, not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
This is where your hope is in, Christian. This is, and by the way, this is why this matters and why this is the conclusion of Paul's exposition on the resurrection. This is what Christ promises, and this is what he demonstrates. What enemy had a claim? None. The wages of sin were what, Christian? Death. Why is he not dead anymore? Because it had no power and it had no claim. He died the death that you were due. And his righteousness is presented before the Father as your righteousness. Remember, you don't show up and look, 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 this is why you should let me in. Look at this wheelbarrow of stuff that I've done. Always remember in Scripture, um, what was the group that got thrown out again? Was it Matthew 7? Look, 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 we cast out demons and we healed the sick and we did all of this. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It is your reliance upon Christ and your hope of what he has done, which, Christian, is the hope of the ages. It is the hope of Scripture from the very beginning. You cannot, but Christ can. Your faith is not strong enough. His accomplishment is. That's why I always joke, people, Bob, number one thing, we used to, uh, used to always deal with this in a youth group, you ever want to get a group of teenagers to be quiet? You know what you ask one question? Who wants to pray? <laughs> and so, mm. You know why? Because we're embarrassed. Because we don't think our prayers are any good. They're not. Your prayers are no good. My prayers are terrible. It's not, it's, it's not the eloquence of my speech that makes my prayers heard. It's the work of Christ. It is his goodness and his intercession before the Father. I don't, even, I don't pray well because I don't even know what to pray for. He knows what I need. I don't even know what I'm supposed to have. He knows what I'm supposed to have. I can't put the words together. My goodness, you would think for somebody who speaks for a living, I wouldn't stutter this much. Yeah, what do I do every Sunday morning? <sighs> it is Christ that makes me good. It is Christ that makes my offering to the Father good. It is Christ that secures my place in eternity. It is Christ who promises me a kingdom that will come. It is Christ who promises me a good creation where righteousness, where righteousness, see there's an example, where righteousness will dwell. It is Christ who does all of these things and that is why my hope must be placed there. Christian, we get this big time a couple times a year, but this is where we're supposed to dwell all the time. This is where you're supposed to dwell on a random Tuesday afternoon because that's when all the bad stuff happens, remember that. On the random Tuesday when life just sideswipes you and you know everybody's yelling and all the things are coming along this is what Christ has prepared me for. This is what the promises accomplish. This is where I slow down and trust that while the world thinks I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, in Christ's kingdom, I am right where I am supposed to be, and it is his work that will usher me to that final place. Let's pray.